What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Rock Your Brand podcast. I am excited because, well, we are going to be discussing a pretty important topic, and that is, well, why do so many Etsy sellers fail? What is the reason? There's actually a stat that we're going to be covering where 74% of people on Etsy that are trying to make a, a, a living, a side hustle, a living, uh, maybe even a full-time gig, uh, they're not able to do it. So we want to figure out like, okay, why are the others able to do it? And then the others aren't. And there's some things that we're going to be discussing. Actually, there's like five different things we're going to be discussing. Uh, but I think this is a good topic because there's a lot of things that I can see and Chris can see that are pretty obvious. And that's just because we've been in business and really in a lot of different businesses for several years. And uh, we we know what it takes. Um, but the problem is a lot of these Etsy sellers, no fault of theirs, uh, is you know just not they're not informed on what actually it is going to take. It's different than it was, you know, back in the day where you could just launch something and all of a sudden it was going to start to take. So we we got to we got to do it a little bit differently. And so that's what we're going to be doing. I think we can learn a lot from failure. And it doesn't even just have to mean other people's failures, although that's that is what we're going to be talking about, but we want to learn from that. We want to learn from that so this way here we can be better. And we can we can take advantage of not them, but of the mistakes that have already been made. I mean, if someone was walking down the street and they tripped and fell in a hole, I hope that they would let me know that there's a hole up ahead. I mean, that's kind of what we want to do here. You know, we want to figure out where those holes are and try to avoid them. And if we have a good neighbor, a good friend, someone that's walked a little bit ahead of us, maybe they'll give us a little a little nod and say, Hey, be careful up there. There's a hole there. You don't want to step in it. You might twist your ankle. You might break your leg. So that's what we want to talk about. Chris, was that, was that good? Was that a good setup for what we're going to be talking about here today? (laughs) I like it. And here's, here's the deal. This is not about like laughing at the 76% or 74% like you have in the title here, Scott, this is about learning from the mistakes that they are making and helping people. Right. So not only would you as a good neighbor go, you know, grab your stepladder or your your handle or whatever, you know, a piece of rope and throw it down in the hole to help them out. But you're going to be the one standing there saying, hey, there's a hole here. Here's what the problem is. And the interesting thing is Etsy is the one that actually gave us this statistic. Now, um, a lot of the reasons are things that we are seeing that people are doing. But the statistic comes from Etsy itself. And our goal here today is to help you avoid being in that 74%. So not only helping you avoid that, but helping to reduce that 74% overall so that everybody that is doing this and trying to turn this into something that is successful for them, whether that means, Scott, a full-time income or just the extra side hustle money that they're looking for, that they can do this in a sustainable way without falling into the hole that you were just talking about that Etsy itself has recognized does exist on the platform. And in their defense or to their benefit, I guess I should say, is trying to give sellers more tools and more ability to avoid being part of that 74%. So that's really what we're talking about here today. We're going to go through the different things that we have seen. We're going to share the full statistic with you and help you make sure that you are doing things the right way to help make sure that you're not in that 
74%. Yeah, I just pulled this up, Chris. If you guys are listening on the podcast, you're not seeing this, I'll just I'll kind of explain it. But this is where uh, I got that statistic. And this was posted uh, from uh, Jenny Smith, who's an Etsy's former seller growth manager. And, um, and she went on to say only 26% of Etsy shops are successful and take as a full-time business. And the main reason for this is the competition. There are over 7.52 million active shops on Etsy. So it can be difficult to stand out from the crowd. And yes, it is. There's a lot more that we need to dive into with just that, but that's a big part of it. There's a lot of competition out there now, way more than there was even a year ago. So that's what we want to do here is we want to, we want to actually walk you through our thoughts and like what our approach is and how we aren't just looking at Etsy as Etsy. We're looking at it as a business, as a brand. And I think if you start to think about it that way, you don't look at it as, okay, I need to find a product and I need to sell a whole bunch of that product. That's just the mindset of like, let's go find something that's trending. Let's find a t-shirt that's selling a designer, whatever. And let's try to hop on that trend and let's try to ride that thing out and, uh, and let's try to make some money. That's not the way that we're going about it. All right. And I think that anyone can get started. Anyone can do this successfully if they think about it a little bit differently and, uh, and they start to educate themselves on what it really does take to be successful, not just on Etsy, but in business in general. So Chris, I think you got something else there. Yeah. Because you are either watching this as we're doing this live or you're listening to this later on the podcast. And Scott, if you can pull that screenshot up one more time, I wanted to point something out for the people who are live, for the people who are listening to this later, you can listen to me say this. I think there's two really important points. First of all, uh, you're already smarter than the average bear, right? You're not just throwing stuff up because you are here trying to figure out why people fail and trying to avoid that. But there's two main things that I saw in this quote from, uh, from Jenny Smith that was Etsy's former seller growth manager. She said, to increase your success on Etsy, make sure your shop is well-organized, easy to navigate, and focus on creating unique and original products. And that's one of the big things, I think. And I know we're going to cover this as we go through our, our little outline for how to avoid that. But that's one of the big traps that I see people falling into. And then the, the second thing, and this is something you and I rant and rave about is, she says, you need to invest time and effort into marketing your shop and building a following online. And lastly, always respond promptly to customer inquiries and orders, because if you don't, then you lose orders. So treating this like a business, having basic customer service and having a well-organized and easy to understand shop are the things that Etsy themselves sees as a, uh, as a path to success. So with that as the baseline, essentially just saying that's the bare minimum that we need to do. Scott, are you ready to dive into what we see people making as mistakes yeah. and walk them through the outlines? Yeah, I, I am. And, and I sent you over kind of my bullet points <clears throat> that I wanted to, that I wanted to cover. And you were like, yeah, I'm pretty much a hundred percent in with you. And there's a few things that we want to elaborate on, but let's just dig in. Okay. So the very first thing, like she had said, is competition has grown, all right? That is, that's a given, all right? And you have to stand out. And the thing is, like, how do we stand out? Well, like I just said a minute ago, the one thing that you don't want to do is just be another t-shirt shop, right? How many more t-shirt shops do we need? And how many more, uh, what is the name, uh, Joanne's 
uh, designs, right? Like, or Chris Schaefer's design or Schaefer design boutique, right? Like how many more of those do we need? I bet you if we were able to look at all of the shop names, there's probably, there's probably a large number that have the word design in it. Okay. Because everyone is now going after just design right? It's like we create design or the other one would be you're doing personalization, but now you're just a personalization shop. Uh, what's the one Chris that's, uh, that's well known. Is it, um, uh, it's been around for years. Um, and, and I mean, gosh, they used to have it in the mall where you, things to remember or something like that. Right. Like things yeah, that, that the way. customization place you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Things to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think you could go in there and you could get like a pen and you can have something engraved on it. It's like they were a personalization shop. Well, now everyone's a personalization shop that offers personalization. And the people that aren't doing personalization, they're just a t-shirt shop or a design shop, right? We need to, well, you don't have to, but we like to think about it as if we were opening up a brick and mortar shop what would it be called and who would we be serving? Okay. Now you could say, well, Scott, there's t-shirt shops all over the place where I can go in and have some team jerseys made for my softball team. And I can have trophies made and I can do all that stuff. And you're right. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have a sign up and it says, uh, weddings and more, right? Well, you know that that shop's all about weddings. And all about things related to weddings. And that could be bachelorette stuff. It could be, it could even be groomsmen. It could even be, uh, you know, maybe it is, uh, the, you know, the dresses or maybe it is, I don't know, maybe it's, uh, the handkerchiefs, uh, like Steve Chu created a whole shop around that because when he was doing, or when they were having their wedding, they couldn't find handkerchiefs that were in, in, uh, you know, embroidered, uh, things like that. So though, that's what we're talking about right? How do you think about this thing as a, as a brick and mortar shop, right? If you start to think about it like that, now you're like, okay, what kind of products are we going to create? Well, then you know who you're creating them for. So now you're like, okay, well, this is pretty easy then. I just have to think about that one type of person that's looking for stuff in that niche. And then I need to create stuff for them. Like it it becomes way easier. And we'll get into the other reasons why it's so important to do it this way. But I know, I know that there are people, Etsy gurus out there and non-Etsy gurus out there just saying like, yeah, just launch trend stuff, like launch stuff that's trending, right? Uh, a design, or if it's, if it's, uh, around the election, do election stuff, right? Like just, just tap into that and go, uh, you know, if masks are selling well, do masks because now we're, you know, we're into, uh, you know, some type of, of new uh, thing that we need to wear masks or whatever, right? Like jump in on it. Like that's not what we're talking about. Now, could you uh, come up with a, a, a cute uh, mask for bridesmaids? Because maybe it's, th- there's a pandemic again and you, and people are still having weddings, but you have to wear a mask maybe, but you see how that then would fit within your, your shop. It wouldn't be weird to have that in your shop. So Chris, that's how I look at it. Like competition is, is massive right now and it's coming in every single day. So that's how I see that we have to stand out is we have to put a stake in the ground and say, that's who we're serving. 
That is our brand. That is what we are. That is what we're focused on. And that's who we're focused on helping. Chris, you want to add anything to that? <laughs> yeah. So Scott, you know, we get the question all the time because you and I are advocates for the niche-based approach rather than the product-based approach, right? We're not going to create a t-shirt store. People say, well, there, there's bridal dress stores like David's Bridal. Guess what? David's Bridal doesn't just sell bridal gowns, right? They sell prom dresses. They sell quinceanera dresses. They sell all kinds of stuff. They are a uh, a women's clothing store, even though the name is David's Bridal, right? And yes, you will, if you go to the beach, at least in America, and you walk up and down the boardwalk, you will find people who sell nothing but t-shirts or nothing but shot glasses or a t-shirt and shot glass store. But they know that they're not going to have repeat customers. In the Etsy platform, we know that there are repeat customers. And we knew this before we ran the Etsy buyer survey that we ran this year. And then that just validated the data. And if you guys haven't seen that yet, uh, we did a whole separate video on that. But essentially what buyers told us and the most frequent buyers, Scott, uh, the people who bought 11 or more times in the last year is that when they come back to Etsy, they try to start, unless it's something they've never bought before, they like to go to the shops that they've already purchased from. And somebody actually just said in the live chat, I think it was Flo, said, uh, how do they know that a well-organized shop on Etsy will help? People only use Etsy as a gift search platform. And that's not true based on the data. Is that a big chunk? Yes. But once somebody finds a store that they resonate with, they like to go back to that store, which makes sense, right? Even if the only thing that was ever purchased on Etsy was a gift. If I find a place that hit a home run in buying gifts for my dad, because whatever reason, right? My dad loves fishing and they had some really cool fishing stuff. Um, I'm going to go back there for his birthday next year. I'm going to go back there for Christmas next year. And I don't have to search through Etsy. I'm going to start with the people that already hit the home run for me. I'm not going to start with a random search. And the data from Etsy buyers themselves backs that up for. And that to me is the number one way to really set yourself apart from the competition. It also leads itself directly into the easy to understand and well-organized shop portion. If we are in a niche, we not only get the benefit of the repeat buyers, especially the most frequent repeat buyers, but it makes it much easier for us to organize our store in a way that when people go to our shop, which they do based on the data, right? Which is another thing. I, that was not the result that I expected because what we had seen in the past is the same advice and the same stuff, Scott, that, that everybody sees, which is Etsy is a search-based platform. And that is true. However, a huge number of people say that they go to the shop to check out other related products, especially once they've purchased from that shop. And so if we have a niche-based approach, it's a lot easier for us to organize our things rather than saying uh, it's t-shirts and you just have to go into the shop and try to find the thing that you're looking for to buy for your dad this year. If it's fishing stuff, we're going to say fishing pillows, fishing shirts, fishing gear, fishing whatever. And it makes it easier for the people who do end up on the shop page, which is a big percentage of people to find the thing that they are looking for and purchase directly for us. The other side benefit of that is it increases our cart value. It adds more products to the individual sale. It does all of those kinds of things. So for me, I view competition as a good thing because if sellers continue onboarding to the platform, that means there's still more buyers to be had. The question then becomes not when is there too much competition? It's simply how to compete. And the easiest way to set the foundation for avoiding competition and setting yourselves apart, which is exactly what Etsy themselves is telling us to do, is by using that niche-based 
approach because it ticks all of the boxes from the organization standpoint. It gives people more of an idea of the different things that they can purchase from us. It increases repeat purchases. It increases our average cart value. And it lets us avoid some of the other things that we are going to be talking about uh, in terms of constantly having to be in there tweaking our SEO to try to find the perfect keyword or in there trying to launch a million products a week to compete with the other people who are selling t-shirts uh, or the, the people, Scott, and this is this is going to be a very timely reference for people. Uh, I don't know if you've seen all of the Donald Trump mugshot mugs that have popped up on Etsy in the last week since he got his uh, his mugshot down in, in Georgia last week. But there were about 800 of them within the hour that that photo became available. Right? And if that's the kind of stuff we're trying to compete against, that's going to be very difficult. And that's where a lot of the competition is. There's actually a lot less competition on the niche-based side of things. And you can avoid competition entirely by securing those repeat buyers and having them before they go to Etsy search, simply come back to your store because they know it's where they're going to be able to find that thing. Even if that thing is not for them, it's that thing for their gift. I fall into this. I found some really cool, unique, creative things on Etsy last year. And the very first thing that I'm going to be doing for Christmas shopping this year is my dad is impossible to buy for. I'm going to the same store that I purchased for him last year to see what the new things are that they are going to launch because he loved his gift last year. And that will save me hours of trying to figure out what I'm going to buy him if I can find something there. So that is going to be my story. Yeah, no, that's all, that's all good stuff. Uh, you know, I, I want to also say like, it doesn't just have to be Etsy. It's just in general, if you are starting a business, you probably want to start a business in a niche. If you're a coffee shop, you're probably going to serve coffee, right? And you're probably going to serve things that are related to coffee or things that people do or eat or consume with coffee, right? I mean, look at Dunkin' Donuts, for example. They started out as coffee and donuts. Now they sell breakfast sandwiches and they sell lunch sandwiches and new wraps that they have on the menu. They're always adding things to the thing because the person that's coming in that drinks coffee, they also do these other things. It's very similar. You brought up the the uh, example of uh, like a fishing niche, right? And people would say, well, Scott, is there enough demand for that? Probably not just for that, but you would then start probably offering things that have to do with the outdoors type of activities, right? Could be camping, could be hiking, could be hunting, all of those things. I mean, look at uh, the Bass Pro Shops, right? They don't just sell bass fishing gear. It's called Bass Pro Shops because they, that's what they started with. And then they started adding these other things that they knew that their customer was interested in. So it doesn't mean that you only can talk about that, but it has to be related. If you have a customer that comes in for one thing and you sent out a flyer at the end of the week, right, of your sales, are they going to be interested in that? If they just bought a Bass shirt, but you don't, that's the only Bass thing that you sell. No, it probably won't work. Right. So that's what we're talking about. And that's how, to me, it's more about the long game. And it's also thinking about, okay, how does this business exist outside of Etsy? That's a big one. How does this business, how does it succeed outside of Etsy? Can you take this and bring it over and build your own website eventually? Can you drive your own traffic? Can you maybe start a YouTube channel? Can you build an email list? Can you do all of these other things that a real business does? So that's what I'd be thinking about. All right, let's move on, Chris. We got a bunch more here to cover. The second thing is, okay, and the reason why people are failing uh, at this and giving up 
is really following the same pod model. Okay. Now we just kind of went down the rabbit hole of like chasing trends and not focusing on a niche. And I think that is a big one. But to me, it's following the same pod model. I mean, what I mean by pod is print on demand, if you're not familiar with that, but they're just going after the same type of products or the same type of designs. This is where we have to break that pattern. All right. Uh, my wife was telling me just the other day that on one of her designs, she probably had 50 different pieces to that, that she had put together. All right. From various Various places, right? I mean, somewhere in Canva, somewhere at Creative Fabrica, um, you know, some maybe she had found on another uh, design site and then she compiled all of these and she built a really unique design that for someone else to do, it's going to be really, really hard. Okay. So that's a way to differentiate, to differentiate yourself and not just chase what everyone else is doing. But the other thing is, is the types of products. Yes. Sweatshirts. Yes. T-shirts. It's a given. You're probably going to offer those. You're probably going to offer coffee mugs. Why not, right? They're there. I've done videos on this channel where I show you how to take one design and put it on multiple products and all of that stuff. But what else could you offer? Could you offer puzzles? I know it sounds weird, right? Like a puzzle. If if you are, if you're into, uh, if, if someone that you are uh, buying a gift for is into bass fishing, like really into bass fishing. Could you create something that was tailored towards that person as bass fishing? And then that would be a puzzle that they would give as a gift. Maybe, right? Maybe it's this, this, maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an area like a certain fishing place that people go to. Right. And now, now all of a sudden you go ahead, you get a picture of that area, you add some stuff to it, and then it's a puzzle. And that fisherman might want to put that together around the holidays, right? Because you know, they like fishing and that would be fun. And then they can hang it up and they can, you know, go ahead and glue it all together and frame it. Like there's a lot of things that we can do that we're not thinking of doing, but once we have that customer, right, we can start thinking about these other products and not just your typical pod products, right? I'm trying to find other products that yes, they might not be in demand right now, but it's a product that if they saw it, they might want to buy it. So I might lead them in with uh, your typical products, right? And then we'll add those other things. So that's what I mean by following the same pod model is they're just selling the same stuff, right? And not going outside the box. Chris, anything you want to add on that one? Yeah, I think this this is one of the biggest things that you and I see all the time. And I actually know there's somebody in the chat right now that is only selling one kind of product. And what people fall victim to a lot, Scott, and, and they'll come to us and they'll say, I have a niche. And we say, what's your niche? And they'll say, t-shirts. T-shirts are not a niche, right? T-shirts are a single product. But is there a theme that we can sell on different kinds of products? And why does that matter? So if we are in that same model where all we're doing is T-shirts, anybody can launch a T-shirt with a similar design, and then it becomes a price competitive game or a traffic getting game. Who has the bigger ad budget? Who has this? Who has that? When you operate in the niche-based model, you can avoid a lot of And where that comes in really handy is the ability to get out of that product rut, only launching t-shirts. If that's your life's passion, I'm not going to tell you that that's not going to work. But if you are not obsessed with printing only the softest t-shirts on the planet, and what you're really happy with is doing the design side of this, the artistic, the creative side of this, then using this approach makes a lot more sense. We can get out of that individual competition on the t-shirt. Even Scott, let's say there's a million t-shirt shops that have a bass fishing t-shirt. 
if we were in the bass fishing niche, should we still launch a bass fishing t-shirt? Of course. Yes. Right. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to be competitive, but it also doesn't mean that we're never going to sell it. And when we can get out of that single product barrel, not only do we get to increase the number of products that we have on an order, because if somebody really likes our slogan, maybe they buy it on a t-shirt and a pillow and that increases our margin. But it also helps us bring back those repeat customers. And it's a heck of a lot easier to get a repeat customer to buy from you than it is to get a first-time customer to buy from you because they already know what the experience is going to be like. They already know what to expect in terms of quality from you, in terms of designs from you. And so when they come to your shop, if they're able to choose from a variety of different things, not just t-shirts or not just pillows or not just puzzles or not just stickers, then they are able to say, hey, I really like this design, but I don't want it on a t-shirt. My dad's not a t-shirt person, but he would love this slogan on a pillow or he'd love this uh, burned in etched in wood to hang over his his TV in his man cave or whatever. If we give them those options, we increase conversion rate, we increase cart value, and we increase the ability for us to get repeat customers. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Yeah, I want to throw this out here real to, real quick too. I'm going to give a little shameless plug here. Um, but uh, this is what I would do. I'm going to throw this up here. Um, I'd be using this tool, okay? And yes, shameless plug. We are an affiliate for it. You will buy us a cup of coffee if you if you actually upgrade to the pro plan, but there's a free plan that that you can use as well. I believe it gives you 10 free searches a month. But this right here is going to also help you identify some products that might not be even in your niche. So see, what I like to do a lot of times is I like to look outside of our niche, see what else is selling in other niches. And then from there, I can go, oh, maybe I could launch one of those in my niche because no one's really doing it right now. So that's a good way to be able to find additional products as well that you might not be thinking about. Uh, so that's something that I definitely would do. That's what we're doing on a pretty, pretty regular basis. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. So you can check that out at brandcreators.com forward slash everbee if you are interested. The other thing I want you to do real quick before we keep moving on here is, uh, would you guys do me a favor? Would you guys smash that like button for us? That does help the YouTube algorithm reach more people. If you do that, if you're getting value, only if you're getting value, we would really, really appreciate that. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, you can do that and you'll get updates and uh, new videos and you'll be updated when we do more live streams like this one right here. So yeah, there you go. All right. So let's move on, Chris. Let's move on. Uh, My next point that I want to bring up and the next area of discussion is people that are Eh, failing, let's call it, right? That's kind of what we led here with. People that aren't succeeding, uh, they're not treating it like a business. There's no business plan. It's just like, well, I see people are selling t-shirts on Etsy. Seems pretty easy. I see the Etsy gurus talking about it, myself included. And you're like, 
I'm just going to go ahead and create some designs, put them up in a store and start making some money, right? That's not a business plan, all right? And it's not anyone's fault, but going into this, you need to be thinking about it as if you're starting a business, okay? Because that's really what it is. If you make money from this, guess what? You got you to gotta hand it in there. You got to hand it into the, to the, the government. You got to let them know and you got to pay tax on that, right? So this is a business and you need to treat it like a business. And any business that's starting needs a business plan. If you're going to buy a franchise, guess what they have? A business plan. And you're going to follow the business plan. You're going to follow their marketing, their setup, uh, where they get their products, right? Um, how they hire employees, like everything has something to follow. Now, this doesn't have to be that elaborate, but you do need a business plan. And what I mean by that is you need some direction. Number one, a lot of people don't even do this. What's your target? What do you, what are you trying to hit? What kind of numbers are you trying to hit? Some people, I'm just trying to make an extra 500 bucks a month. Cool. Create a business plan to do that, right? Um, I want to make $3,000 a month. Cool. Create a business plan that'll help you achieve that. And by doing that, it's going to also give you direction. And I don't see people doing that. I just see people winging it, right? They're just like, let me throw up a whole bunch of shirts and see what sells, right? It's not a business. If you go into it with the idea of, I'm going to create a bass pro shop type of store, then I know at least, okay, that's who I'm targeting. So that's that's the that's the ones that we're going to be going after, that it's going to be who we're going to create our products for. So I know that now. And then I need to think about what kind of products are they buying? And then I got to say, okay, what's my number? And how many do I need to sell of these items to hit my number? That's a business plan. Okay. And it's a very, that's a very dumbed down version. It's okay. It's better than nothing. It's back of the napkin. Like I'm okay with that, but a lot of people aren't doing that. And I'd like to know in the comments right now, do you have some type of direction other than I want to make a thousand dollars a month? Is there direction? Is there, who are you creating products for? Or are you just winging it by looking at products that are doing well? It doesn't matter the niche. I'm just curious, drop that in the comments. Let us know what you're doing right now. And, and if you do have a business plan, at least in place, a back of the napkin one, I would love to know that in the comments, Chris, anything you have on that? Not I have, I have a couple of business. I have a couple bullets here, and I think the two most important ones are the two that you really hammered home there, which is knowing your numbers, not just your number in terms of, I want to make $50,000 this year, but what is my plan to get there? If I want to make $50,000 this year, how many products do I have to sell? How much money do I have to make? And that helps us lay out the roadmap to be able to get to that number rather than realizing November 25th that we've sold $4,000 of products all year long and then trying to scramble to sell $45,000 or 50, you know, $46,000 in the last month and week of the year, right? Like if you know your numbers, backwards engineering this makes sense. It also Scott helps you avoid the chasing that we talked about in terms of the trends. If we know that the products we have launched will get us there, then we don't have to go launch more products. We don't have to do things. We can spend time optimizing rather than launching. And, and I've referred to this as the product launch hamster wheel, right? Where it's like, oh, I know that if I just launch products every single day, that eventually I'll get to $50,000. Well, maybe. But if we didn't do the product research to back up the numbers to get us there to begin with, then we lose sight of that. That also helps us 
when we get to the second most important thing, Scott, which is knowing your customers. If you know your customers and you know your numbers, then everything else becomes a lot easier. The design process becomes easier. The marketing becomes easier. Knowing which photos to put in your listing when you're creating the listing becomes easier because you start to get a feel for what that specific group of people likes to see, the type of information that they're looking for in the description. How do they search? Maybe they phrase things differently than the general public does. And so if you know your numbers and you know your customers, that gets you 99% of the way there. And then if you really want to optimize, you really want to treat this like, like a business, you should have, and again, this does not have to be like a bullet pointed out, I do this and then I write that type of a process, but you should have a process for at least four things in my mind. And Scott, if I'm missing anything here, let me know. The first one is what is your design process? How do you design and think of new products? Again, this doesn't have to be like a formal process, but it's every Monday, you know, I'm going to sit down for an hour while I'm watching baseball or while, you know, while my kids are at soccer practice and I'm going to dig through Etsy to come up with design inspiration. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to sit down for an hour while I'm doing the same thing and create the designs. And that gives me the entire rest of the week to apply them to products and launch them. That's all the further it has to be. You don't have to say, I'm going to go to Etsy. I'm going to type in this keyword. You don't have to get that granular with it. But if you have a basic process for that, it helps keep you accountable to your customers and to your numbers, right? The second thing uh, that I would say everybody should have a process for is your optimization, your listing optimization, whether that's SEO or conversion rate. Again, it doesn't have to be formal. It can just be every Wednesday. I'm going to go look at every listing that's been around for longer than two weeks and see if there's anything I can do or any reason that I need to increase uh, the conversion rate, or if I want to increase traffic there, if it's something that's coming in, you know, it's a Halloween product that I launched last year. Maybe I want to go in and make some tweaks to it this year, right? We need to have a process for that. We also need to have a product launch process, meaning when I launch a product, what do I do? Do I just put it up and pray? That's one strategy. Do I put it up and add it to ads? That's another strategy. Do I put it up, add it to ads, create a discount or a promotion for it? That's another strategy. You know, what are we doing when we launch a product? Again, doesn't have to be like fully detailed out. I'm going to write this specific email. I'm going to do exactly this. But you do have to have an idea of how much time it's going to take you and the type of steps that you want to go through. And then the very last one, and this is something that was mentioned in that quote that you pulled at the very beginning of this, Scott, but it's something I think that most people miss is what is your customer service process? When are you responding to messages? How do you respond to messages? What is the tone that you use in there? How much time, energy, and effort does that take you on a daily basis? And if you're not accounting for that, that can sneak up you, sneak up on you really fast, especially in Q4, and it can derail the other three processes that we were just talking about. So having at least a basic understanding of saying, I'm gonna sit down while I drink my morning coffee and respond to all of the messages from the day before, or you know, I, I'm gonna do it last thing before I go to bed, however you wanna do that, just make sure that you have an idea and kind of a set framework for how and when you're going to address customer service stuff. And if you have a really basic idea for those four things, that will get you the rest of the way there. But knowing your customers and knowing your numbers really is the key to that. And then adding in how do you deal with those other four situations really becomes the uh, the icing on the cake. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Uh, okay, let's move on. We got questions coming in. We'll try to answer some of them here once we get through this. Um, but uh, we will definitely... Uh, consider doing those if we have time. So let's just, so just keep them coming if you do have questions. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on here. Let me just get my next point up. Okay. I love this. I love it, but I love the, uh, the analogy that I came up with, I guess is what I love. Uh, playing the Etsy product lottery ticket. That's what a lot of people are doing. And basically trying to figure out that one design, that one shirt that's just going to crush 
and you're going to hit a home run or even a grand slam. And you're like, that's what I'm going for. And I said this in a video recently, and it, to me, it helps make a lot more sense here. There's a lot of people that play the lottery, but there's a lot less people that actually win. So I would rather get these little small wins, these little base hits and get more of those over time because those are also going to diversify your brand. So if you are going to go after just playing the lottery and hitting it once, uh, you're probably going to want to try to try to play that lottery ticket again. And you're probably not going to win. It's probably going to, you're probably going to win once, right? If you're lucky. So I like to just play a lot, but have these little, little base hits, right? And then they add up and the base hits are just going to compound on themselves. Um, so it's more of the long game. Um, someone in the comments had said, is it worth it to create a loss leader? Okay. A loss leader type of product. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because that could be a, a very good product that, you know, gets demand. You've done your research and you know that your price isn't going to be that high because in order to compete, whatever, but that there might not even be the home run. Maybe that's a double product for you, but that product could lead people in. And then you get a whole bunch of base hits off of that lead coming in. So I'm, I am a fan of, and I don't want to say a loss leader, but where you make less money on a product, but it will only work and only work if you have other products that that one customer would want to buy, right? Like I said, if someone's coming in to buy a bass fishing gift for someone and that's the only bass fishing type of product you offer, but you offer other things for weddings and for golfers and for all of these other activities, chances are that customer's probably not going to buy one of those. They might, but probably not. But if you had the bass fishing shirt, and then the bass fishing bag or the plaque or the wood sign or the canvas, all of those other things that that same person could buy as a gift, there's a greater chance that they're going to be adding more to their cart, right? And for future sales. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because that one home run product, that's the only thing that you're hoping for is to knock that out of the park. Nothing else on the back end. We're always talking about building out the product line so we have things that are going to be more long-term, right? So right now, my wife is creating products, thinking to herself, what would my customers from last Christmas buy this Christmas? That's what she's thinking. Instead, a lot of people are thinking, what's that one product I can get to just get a whole bunch of people to buy, right? It's just a different mindset. So to me, one of the big problems is playing that Etsy product lottery ticket, that little game. And um, that's what I think is one of the biggest problems for a lot of these people is, again, going after just that one type of product. Okay. So that's, that's what I would say. Stay away from that if you can, um, which I, I know you can. Um, Chris, anything you want to say on that?
You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, this comes back to the the old adage, hope for the best, plan for the worst, right? Uh, if, if you use, if we go back to the home run analogy, Scott, do you know roughly how many or what percentage of runs in major league baseball come from home runs? You're putting me on the spot. I'm a big baseball I can, fan. I, I just want to get your opinion. I have the number. I was just curious if you had a wild yeah, guess. Um, I don't know the number, but, um, I would say there's a lot more base hits, a lot more doubles than there are home runs and home runs, including Grand slams only account for about 40% of all of the runs in baseball, right? And so if we're hoping for that, we're losing out on 60%. Now in the real world, it's closer to 80-20, right? It comes back to that Pareto principle of 20% of everything that we do results in 80% of the results. And we can even see that with home runs because about 50%, so half of that 40%, uh, actually it's closer to 60% of that 40% are solo home runs, meaning they are one run. The other 40% of those make up for the vast majority of those runs that come from home runs. How does it happen that you get more than one run on a home run? Well, there's somebody hits single, somebody bunts, somebody gets hit, somebody walks, right? There's already somebody on base. So we can't depend on the home run to be the game winner. We have to depend on the bunts, on the base hits, on the doubles, on the triples, right? On the errors in the outfield, whatever it is, we can't be dependent on those home runs. When we get them, they're nice. But what we should be looking for are the products that we know are going to sell consistently. And what we look for is about a sale a day or more. Now, when we get into something like the holidays, do we know that that's typically going to increase, especially if it's a holiday-related product? Absolutely. But we want that to be dependable all year round. I don't want all of my revenue to be dependent on my Q4 doing really well if I can avoid it, especially if it's being reliant on a single product. Even more so if we are falling victim to the first few things that we're talking about. We're chasing trends, right? I'm selling cloth masks and crushing it out of the park. Awesome. What's going to happen when people don't need to wear masks? Anymore? Uh, I don't know. Or I have one design that's selling really well. Well, what's going to happen if somebody creates a better version of that design? Then you lose that revenue from your business. And if you're dependent on one single product because you're dependent on those home runs, you will lose the business when that revenue starts to decrease. So what we look for are consistent base hits or doubles. And some of those will turn into triples and home runs. Some of those will turn into grand slams for us. But what we're really looking for are just people who are more likely than not to get a hit when they come up to the plate. And what we're looking for are products that are more likely to sell one a day than not based on the data. Rather than trying to get a product that sells 100 a day, it's a heck of a lot easier to find 100 products that sell one a day. And guess what? If we launch all 100 of those products, they're not always going to sell one a day. They'll start to trickle up, especially as we start to 
increase the ability for people to buy multiple products for us by combining that strategy with something like the niche-based strategy. And you don't have to launch 100 products to be successful. I'm not saying that. That's just the example because if we had one product that's selling 100 a day and we were making the same money, you'd need 100 products that are selling one a day. But what you will find over time is that those sales on those will start to increase as you become uh, embedded in the Etsy ecosystem. And so it's a lot easier for people to find multiple products that are selling to start to build that sales base. And it becomes a lot more reliable because if one of those goes away, you still have 99 other products that are selling versus zero other products that are selling. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Uh, so yeah, we, we want to go after those base hits. We want to go after those, those, uh, you know, doubles, you know, but we, we're going to hit a home run every now and then don't get me wrong. That's the way it works. And you know, if, and I know I'm using a lot of baseball stuff here, but that's kind of like, I'm, I'm in the sports world, uh, with my kids. Um, so if you're thinking about it though, and I've always heard this, if you are going up to the plate, trying to hit a home run, you're probably going to overswing. You're probably going to be off balance, all of those things. Right. But if you just relax and go up there and try to hit a base hit, you could hit a home run. Right. And it's the same thing with this here. You're going to probably hit a home run. It's just going to take time, but you're also going to have a lot of singles, a lot of doubles, even some triples in there. All right. So let's, let's move on. Uh, okay. So the, the last part here, and this is a big one, this is actually huge. And that is lacking the knowledge of marketing. All right. Lacking the knowledge of marketing. And I originally said lacking the marketing skills, skills can be developed, but you first have to know that you need to market, right? And you've probably heard this before. You can have the best product in the world, but if no one sees it, no one can buy it, right? Marketing is all about getting eyeballs and converting people from a window shopper to a customer, right? That's, that's marketing. And you might've got into this thing because it seemed fun and I can create designs and all that stuff, but you do need to learn marketing. You have to. Okay. Because right now what I'm hearing out there in the Etsy world is find products, put them up there, do some good SEO and the SEO gods will bless you and you will get sales. No, right? Yes, you can get sales, but it's not going to be the same as if you learned marketing. And what I mean by learning it is the basics. It's like, okay, we're talking about customer, right? Focusing on one type of customer and then creating a product line that that one customer can buy, whether it's now and increase the cart value or later in future follow-ups. And that also leads me to being able to utilize the Etsy internal marketing, things that they have built in, the emails that can go out that if someone favorites one of your items, that's automated. It's right there for you to use. That's marketing, right? That's follow-up. The other one is if someone adds something to a cart, but doesn't buy, that's there for you to use. And then if someone buys something, a thank you email goes out with a discounted coupon. Those are marketing pieces. Okay. Then you can build your list externally. This is a little bit more advanced, but that's marketing. Marketing again is getting traffic, getting eyeballs to see what you have to offer and getting in front of those people. All right. Not just putting something out there and waiting right? That's not marketing. Marketing is always, it could be also your reviews. If you're getting reviews, that's part of your marketing piece. 
Why? Because that's a conversion mechanism. That's something that's going to take someone from like, uh, I don't know if I want to buy from these guys to reading a review and then going, yeah, I, I like what I'm hearing here. These, these people are all really happy with this thing. And oh, I saw a picture of it too. That's what it looks like. Not just in a professional shop picture. Great. I'm going to buy this. And I know I do this all the time. Actually, I was just doing it just today. I was looking at getting mud flaps uh, for my car and I was like looking at reviews and I was seeing, oh, 4.3 stars. Why is there not a five star? What are people complaining about? And I started reading those. It wasn't enough to not get me to buy though. I actually ended up buying. So uh, we we all start, to, we're, we're conditioned now to look at those. So reviews, that's, that is a marketing piece. Understanding that that's a very powerful piece. Customer service, that's a marketing piece because people are going to talk about you. You know, that's word of mouth marketing. That's, you're, you're going to be able to get that from there. And there's, there's a lot of other things that we can do. But if you're thinking about this, if you zoom out at a 10,000 foot view and you look down and you see your business and you see customer, and then you see products that they can buy, and then you see, how can I get those people to see more of my products? And how can I get in front of those people myself or with the automation tools that are built into Etsy or building my own email list or building my own YouTube channel or whatever? That's marketing. Okay. And I just think that people, they lack the knowledge, but even they lack, I guess, the, the know or the know-how of like, not just how to do it, but like that they have to do it or that it's a thing. All right. So hopefully me sharing this with you and Chris sharing this with you gets you to go, okay, I guess I need to know a little bit about marketing. That's great. That's the first step. I'll give you a, a quick example of this. My wife and I years ago, when I first got out of my construction working business, I worked for my father. Those of you that don't know, I worked for my father's construction company business uh, when I was right out of, out of high school. And I thought I was going to own that company. My wife and I started a photography business as a side hustle. We didn't know anything about photography, by the way. We taught ourselves. And uh, we started that business. Well, my wife loved photography. She loved taking pictures. She loved all of that stuff, but didn't understand marketing. Neither did I. So I had to learn the marketing. And that's what I did. So I dedicated all of my time to marketing and I learned it. And now because I've learned it, my wife knows it, right? So you have to understand that, yes, you can have great products. You got to be able to get people to see it. And that's how marketing works. You have to be able to use marketing to get visibility to your products or else you're just not going to have any sales. Um, Chris, I know you're going to have some stuff to talk about there. This is a, this is a good one for you and I to, to ramble on. We, we love the discussion of marketing because it's so powerful. Yeah. So my my version of this bullet point was not doing marketing right, right? Like even if you know that Etsy ads are a thing, maybe you don't have them turned on for some reason, or maybe you're not optimizing it. I'm seeing a lot of comments in the chat saying, hey, I don't understand why it's not working for me. That's the second half of this. And that's where really where that knowledge comes in. And that's why I called this on my outline, Scott, not doing marketing right, which doesn't sound grammatically correct, but I'm going with it. To your point, you said, if no one knows about your product, then no one can buy your product. But the other side of marketing is even if you have a worse product, people will still buy it because it's there, right? And the, the example that I like to use for this, um, Scott, do you know, um, you're familiar with Bose, right? Say that again? You're familiar with the company Bose, the speaker company? Oh, yeah. I right. actually have I'm, had a few, I've had a few sets of the Bose speakers. Yeah, of course. I was going to pick on Apple a little bit, but I know that, you know, you you're a little bit more of an Apple fan than you are a Bose fan. So there's a joke in the audio community. And if you guys don't know, one of my first jobs was selling and installing a home theater. And there's a saying in the audio community, 
No highs, no lows, must be Bose. But yet everybody still thought that Bose was the best speaker available because way back in the 80s, they did some really cool things. And then in the mid 90s, they did some cool things, but their speakers were never the best, but everybody had already associated them with high quality products. And so when they marketed something new or when they launched something new, people would go buy it. Obviously, I'm not saying go launch inferior products, but they had the name recognition. They had people who knew who they were and they had a built-in fan base, even though they weren't launching the world's best speakers. They definitely weren't, but they do a good enough job that most people are okay with it just because they have that brand recognition. Now, if you paired that with a really good product, you're off to the moon in terms of sales. The good news is with Etsy, the way that you do marketing within the Etsy ecosystem, there's some very basic things that you can set up and then kind of forget about as long as they are working, right? Etsy gives you a lot of built-in tools to help you build the foundation for long-term successful marketing. The biggest thing, Scott, that I see people missing here are those automated emails that they're talking about and then taking the, the emails of buyers off platform using something like Aweber, which we still get people every time we bring this up, people I've seen in the chat four or five, 15 times go, I've never heard that before. You can create an email list with buyers. Yes, and you should be because not only does it help you be less dependent on Etsy, but email marketing is the highest return on investment marketing you can do for an e-commerce business, which if you are selling on Etsy, you are in the e-commerce business, right? Every study that comes out every year in the marketing world says that that is the fact, right? And we've seen this on our own shops. If we launch a new product, Scott, and you send an email, it's usually a matter of 30 seconds to a minute before we hear the first cha-ching come through if it's a product that resonates well with the audience. And we can time that back to back right? We see a boost in sales when we send more emails and we have the ability to do that. So if you don't have your automated emails inside of Etsy for abandoned carts, for favorites, for some of those kinds of things set up, if you don't have your email integration with something like Aweber set up so you can capture those emails for buyers, go do those two things first. Then step three would be turning on Etsy ads. The biggest mistake I see sellers making here, Scott, is that they just think that Etsy ads are a set and forget type of a thing, or that if they spend $10, that they're automatically going to make twice what they would make if they spent $5. So people come in, they spend $20 a day, and then they go, ads don't work. Well, you do have to do a little bit of work. And this is what comes back to the not doing marketing right portion that I started with. When you turn on ads, you have to look at what's working and what's not. It does not have to be a seven hour process. It's a handful of minutes every couple of days to go, why are they showing me for coffee mug when I'm selling a, a 38 ounce insulated tumbler? I'm going to go ahead and turn that off because it doesn't make sense. And if we do a few of those basic things, that will get us 60, 70, 80% of the way there on the marketing side. And then we can start thinking about, do I want to build a Shopify store and run Facebook ads to it? That comes later. But if we can master the basic tools that Etsy gives us first, that will get us a huge portion of the way to doing marketing right inside of the Etsy platform. And then we can figure out how to do marketing right outside of the Etsy platform. Yeah. I mean, we've got some, some questions in here about Instagram, Pinterest, and all of those things. And yes, those things can work, but unless you have leveraged the internal stuff, I wouldn't even monkey with that yet. The only thing that I would start with is I would do email marketing outside of the Etsy platform, because that is probably going to be the best thing for you to do on top of the internal stuff. And the reason why is because it's actual customers that are buying from your shop. And then we can get those people over onto our email list that we can communicate with um, off of Etsy, but also direct them back over to Etsy. And that's what I would recommend too. A lot of people are like, well, do I 
Do I just direct them to my website? I mean, I have a Shopify store. I would keep directing them back to Etsy. Number one, Etsy is going to want you to, but number two is you want to keep fueling the Etsy uh, engine, the algorithm, right? We want to keep pushing that, getting our products more reviews, getting our products more sales velocity, all of those things. Um, but that is going to be probably your best bang for your buck is doing the external stuff. So if you don't have that set up, I would definitely recommend setting that up. And Chris, we have a free email guide. We can probably put that in the chat here. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, right here. It's our email playbook. And I believe it's like 46-ish pages, something like that. Um, and it takes you through our email marketing process, um, gives you some uh, some things behind the scenes and stuff too that we've done. Um, but if you want to grab that, you can head on over to brandcreators.com forward slash email and you can download that. It's totally free. Uh, no strings attached. You just download it. Just all we ask is use it, <laughs> you know, just use it. But also, uh, oh, you can do us, you can do us a favor. You can, you can like this, uh, this video right now. You can give us a little love on that. That would be amazing. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. So go ahead and, and like that, um, the video that'll help us. Oh, and leave, leave a comment. If you have already downloaded the, the email playbook, let us know that too. We'd love to know and what, what you thought of it. That would be cool. Um, all right, Chris. That was it that I, that's everything that I had there, right? So we had competition has grown. So we have to stand out. That's a big one too. Following the same pod model as everyone else. We don't want to do that. We don't want to just chase trends and we don't want to go after random niches. Um, three, not treating it like a business. So we want to treat it like a business. We want to create our own business plan. So if you haven't already done that, please do that. Even if it's on the back of a napkin. Number four, playing the Etsy product lottery ticket, the home run product mentality. Um, that's something else that we don't want to do. We want to hit base hits and, uh, we want to do that frequently. Um, and then the, the fifth one, which I think is really, really important is lacking the knowledge of marketing and developing the skills. And I think that's a big one to do. And like I just ended with there, our email playbook would probably be a great resource for you to start with some external marketing. All right. The internal marketing, I've talked about that here on the channel. You can go through some of our past videos where we talk about email, but we also talk about some of the drivers to skyrocket your sales. And that is using the internal uh, marketing that they allow us to use. Things like if someone favorites your item, yes, you can send them an automated email. But the other thing that happens is now that they've, they've actually raised their hand, if you do something to that product, Maybe you put it on sale. They're going to get notified. Maybe they favorited your shop. Guess what? You add a new product. They're going to get a notification. So-and-so just uploaded a new product. They're going to get that notification too. So those are some things that you want to be doing on a regular basis. The Etsy ads, we're not going to get into that today. We did a whole training on that as well. We'll drop that in the, in the description once this live stream is, is over. Um, but there's a full over an hour Etsy ads uh, one-on-one little crash course that Chris and I, uh, did as a live. Um, another reason why you want to probably subscribe to the channel, cause we do stuff like that for free. Um, so you guys can check that out. We want to help you guys the best that we can, but Etsy ads is another thing that you want to be leveraging. And I know there was a question, Chris, that someone asked, like, do you get outside, uh, ads from Etsy because Etsy does promote your stuff externally. And the answer is yes, they do. Um, it's just as you cross, I believe it's the $10,000 mark, 
then you get a discount on those external uh, ads that are being placed on Google. And Chris, I'm sure you can speak to that a little bit. You want to give us like a, a minute overview of what that looks like? Yeah. So when, when you and I, Scott, are talking about Etsy ads, what we're really talking about are Etsy on-site ads, which is how Etsy refers to them, or their pay-per-click ads. You do get external traffic from Etsy ads. They refer to that as Etsy off-site ads. Those are going to be ads that show up places like Google search results, YouTube, uh, Facebook, all of those kinds of places. And you don't do anything to enable those ads. They have ads people like me who find the best products and the best places to place those ads. They use a lot of automation to help with that. And if those ads lead to a sale of your product, then they take a percentage. And if you are under 10,000, I think it's I think it's 15% and 12%. So if you're under, it's 15%. If you're over 10,000, it's 12%. Um, don't quote me on those numbers, but it's it's something in that range. But only on the sale that comes directly from ads. You don't have to do anything. They are typically enabled by default. Uh, and they are mandated if you're selling more than $10,000 on Etsy. If you are selling under $10,000, you can turn them off. But there's no reason to do that as long as you are choosing the right products and setting your margins at a place that makes sense. And Scott, the, the biggest thing I want people to take away from this is like, this is not the, the super critical roadmap of like the step-by-step -step things that you need to do. The point we wanted to make today is that the reason that that number is so high and she gave the positive, you'll notice that we gave the negative. She gave the positive and then said it was 26%. We said, but that means that 74% of people are not doing it. Right. And so what we wanted to give you was the kind of roadmap to avoid becoming part of that 74%. And the reason that the things we are talking about today are so important is because not doing these things is what leads to frustration and low sales, which leads to people quitting. And Scott, you've probably heard the quote and people attribute it to Albert Einstein. They attribute it to all kinds of people, but it's uh, failure only occurs when you give up right? But the thing that leads to that permanent failure or that frustration is low sales, not being able to find the perfect product, not being able to hit that home run, not being able to figure out why your store isn't working, all of those kinds of things. And if you just go through this little checklist that we gave you here today, you make sure that you're executing on those things. It will help you avoid getting stuck on that. I have to launch 50 more products this month if I'm ever going to be successful on Etsy flywheel. It'll stop you from getting into that design frustration where you're not sure where the next thing is that you want to launch in terms of a, of a design. It'll help you avoid getting lost in all of the products that are being on Etsy because you have a basic understanding of how the marketing works and you've set yourself up for success. It helps you avoid the burnout, which will stop you from failing because that only occurs when you get so burnt out that you say this Etsy thing just doesn't work. I give up. I'm never logging into Etsy ever again. Maybe I'll buy something on there, but it's just not worth my time. It's a rigged game. No one can make this work. That only happens when you fall victim to those five mistakes that we talked about. Perfect. Love it. Um, all right, guys, we will answer some questions. We got, we got some, uh, a little bit of time here. Uh, to answer some questions, we will get into those. I will give a little shameless plug for this. If you guys are interested, we haven't really publicly offered this in a while. Um, it is still on our website, but we don't really actively talk about it, although we should. And that is, uh, if you want to go through our seven-day cha-ching challenge, um, this is something I would definitely recommend going through. Um, this is a paid training. It's not that expensive. We're, we make it very, very affordable. Um, but it gives you an action step for seven days. And the goal is, is to be able to get everything optimized, everything built, even all the way up to your Etsy ads, all of that stuff. Um, and then from there, 
after the seven days is to start hearing that, that cha-ching sound. Um, but it's really about optimizing every aspect of your shop and all of the marketing. And that can be found at brandcreators.com forward slash sales. So if you go to that, take you to a page, you can go ahead and uh, enroll and then you'll get immediate access to it and you'll get, uh, it'll be a lesson every single day for seven days. That's kind of how it's it's laid out. So, uh, and it's, it's bite-sized pieces. So it's something that you can actually get done and then everything kind of builds on itself, just like we talked about here. So if you guys are interested, check that out, brandcreators.com forward slash sales. All right. So Chris, let's, uh, let's answer uh, a few of these questions and then we will let everyone uh, go on with their day and get out there and start uh, implementing some of this stuff. Gina wanted to know, she said, does Instagram marketing work at all? The answer is yes, but the question is how much time, energy, and effort should you be putting into it? To me, Instagram would probably be the last place that I would be looking because it's not an evergreen platform. I'd rather see you investing that time, energy, and effort into making sure that everything's optimized within the Etsy ecosystem before you start looking outside. If you think that your store and all of your products and all of your processes are 100% optimized, then I'd be looking something uh, that's a little bit more evergreen, something more like Pinterest or a platform where people can find your content for years to come rather than a platform that's designed to stop showing your content as soon as you post something else. Scott, a question for you here from Heather. How big does an email list need to be to be worth your time sending emails? It's going to be worth it if you have one email subscriber. And the reason why, a couple reasons why, is number one, that's a person. And that person can buy one item and they can buy 10 items. And we've had this. Uh, we had a customer last year uh, come back for the third time and that third order around the holidays was over $250, right? So I say, start sending emails the day that you have a subscriber, right? The, the day that you have got someone on that list. The other reason to do this is because you need to start practicing on writing emails, all right? Like it, there's more to it than just writing an email and sending it. There are ways that you want to send emails. There's things that you want to, that you want to say in the email. So this way here, you're not just coming across as like you're promoting, you're promoting, you're promoting, although that's what we're doing in a sense, but we're also kind of letting people uh, on the inside of our business. We're giving them a little bit of, of the insider's scoop. And that's why when we have, uh, when we have people join, uh, if they're not already a customer, if we have something where we're getting someone in on a free kind of lead magnet, as we call it, um, it would be something like join our VIP club, right? So if they join our VIP club, uh, you are going to get, uh, you're going to get offers for 40%, up to 40% off. You're going to be also uh, able to participate in some of our uh, giveaways that we do throughout the year. So that's the VIP club right? So you have customers who've paid and then you have VIP club. So to me, you want to take this email list. I don't care if there's one person on it. You want to start communicating with them um, because that one customer can be a hundred dollars, $200, $500. Um, and if you're creating products for that one type of customer, well, then whenever you release something, there's a chance that they'd be interested in it. All right. So that's what I would say. One subscriber is all that you need to start sending those emails. It starts with one thing. I don't know why. Uh, now I have Lincoln Park stuck in my head. Uh, but that, that really is the truth, right? It doesn't have to be this massive list. I've seen people be extremely successful with very small lists, and I've seen people be very successful with very big lists. I've also seen companies, and you know this, Scott, I worked with a Fortune 500 company. Uh, good God, that was 
probably eight years ago at this point that had almost 500,000 people on a list. And they were lucky if they could get a few hundred of those people to, to buy something because they weren't communicating with them. They just had them sign up for something and then never communicated. With them. Whereas if you have a smaller list that you can communicate with regularly and it's about something that they actually care about, they're going to be a lot more active and reactive to the things that you ask them to do. So the, the real key there is not the size, it's the engagement and how you treat them. And if you are in a niche-based store, it becomes a lot easier to say, hey, check out this cool thing. Oh, by the way, we have this new product. And if they're interested in it, they'll click and they'll buy. And you can build in that source, even with a very small list. And then as your list starts to grow, you just get more and more sales out of them. Um, Woodcrafter in your pocket said, I have a business plan, but it isn't working. So Scott, is there any quick advice that we can give to them to just say, hey, um, here's where you should look? To me, the, the first thing that we should be looking at is, Plans are great, but if they're not working, we have to figure out why. And there's a, a military phrase that I'm probably going to butcher, but it's like the best laid plan doesn't survive first contact, right? So we can sit down and we can say, here's all of the things that I'm going to do. And then as soon as we start to launch products, it's not working out the beautiful way that we have this imagined in our head. We have to then dive in and figure out what the problem is. Are we hitting our sales numbers for the individual products, but I'm not getting to my number overall? Well, then I need to launch more products. Am I not selling enough on the products that I'm launching? Then I need to look, is there enough demand there? Or can I get more traffic? Or can I increase my conversion rate, right? And if we're doing those things, then we can backwards engineer from where it's broken in the plan to get us back on track. Is there anything that I'm missing there, Scott? No, I, I, I love that. I guess the first place that I would be looking is at the products that you're offering and I'd be looking at the demand. So that that would be like the first thing that I'd be doing. Cause you might be creating this business plan, but for products that people aren't really searching for, or there's not that many searching for. So that's where I would probably start. If you're not yet using Everbee, I would be using Everbee. Again, another little shameless plug here for anyone that is not using Everbee, um, go check it out. You can get 10 free searches, um, over at brandcreators.com forward slash Everbee. Uh, but that's where I would start. I'm always going to be looking like, okay, I'm not getting the sales, but am I getting views? Am I getting clicks? If I am now, I'm like, okay, there is demand, but now people aren't buying. Why aren't they buying? Well, are my images not up to par? Maybe I got to tweak those, right? Maybe I have a couple of negative reviews that are on top, right? And now I got to work on, okay, how do I, how do I get over that? Right? How do I get more positive? reviews to, to, um, outweigh that. So those are the things that we want to do is we want to kind of reverse back to where there could be an issue. And I'm always starting with are people actually searching for what you have to offer and not just you thinking like, yeah, there is, I know there is no, have you actually looked at data? Have you seen other shops that are selling this type of product that are getting consistent sales? That's what I'd want to be looking at. One great way of doing this is turn on a, on some Etsy ads and start looking at your views and looking at your clicks. And then from there you can see, okay, is there actually impressions for this? That's going to be an indicator if there's actually people searching in general. And then there's the visitors, which are your clicks. Okay. That's people that actually went to your listing. That tells me, okay, then people that have kind of went over from the, the impression over to my listing. But that's how you're going to be also able to tell real data real fast 
is by spending some money on Etsy ads. But where people get a little, they get a little standoffish is like, well, I don't want to spend 25 bucks and get nothing out of it. That's part of business and that's marketing, right? Mar- this is also part of marketing guys. This is like doing, this is like doing data, uh, you know, analysis and doing research, right? If we want to sell things, we need to understand the market. And that's part of it. So that's what I would say, Chris. I would start there and then start to work myself through it. And that that I think is the key is understanding the data. Business is not difficult. Business can feel hard. The real secret to business is doing more of what works and less of what doesn't, right? Like if, if we can find a few things that are working, then we our only job as a business owner is to figure out how to do more of that specific thing. And if we can do that, then we're going to be more successful. How do we do that? We do that by looking at data. And Sarah's house of crochets uh, said, what portion of time should we be spending as a sole proprietor looking at data? And the answer is, it depends on where you are in your business season, right? Right now, I probably wouldn't be spending as much time looking at that data as I would getting yourself ready for the, the onslaught of what's coming in Q4. Do you have your holiday products done? But then once you have those up and launched, you're gonna come back into a time where you're really starting to analyze what's working and what's not. And to me, I would be setting aside one of those days a week, um, whether it's, you know, whether your day is an hour or your day, you have three hours worth of time to dig through your ads data, your individual listing analytics data, the beta search data that you're now getting to figure out what's working and figure out how to really hone in on that. Figuring out what's working is one half of it. Figuring out what's not is the other half. And it's probably the more important half. Because if we can stop doing less of what's not working, then we can have all of our time, energy, and effort focused only on what is. So going into your ads, figuring out which keywords are leading to clicks and not sales, and then saying, well, is the keyword relevant? If it is, then why isn't this keyword leading to sales? And that takes us then into the listing optimization process. If it's not, then we just turn it off and we can move on with the rest of our day. But I'd be setting aside one of those big chunks of time each week to really sit down and look at the data and just work your way through it. Look at all of your ads data that's come back. Look at the individual listings. Look at the search data that you're getting now inside of the the search beta data uh, inside of the Etsy backend. Figure out what keywords are creating your sales and then go from there. The other half of this, and it's not something that we talked about, are what are the products that are doing the best? And is there a way that we can leverage those products by looking at what's selling more than the other things into more products by applying that design that's selling really well on a t-shirt to a pillow, to a mug, to wall art, uh, some of those kinds of things. So Scott, we had a question. Uh, do you sell metal print on demand art? The answer is yes, we sell some metal stuff. And would you still price that at a $10 profit? $10 is kind of the minimum that we're looking for. Obviously with something like that, you can typically make more profit. And if you can, you should, because it helps you offset some of the things like losing some money on marketing sometimes because you're trying to figure out whether it's working or not. And so you don't have to use that $10 thing as like you should only ever make $10. That should be the floor. There should be no ceiling. Price it wherever you want to price it, as long as it makes sense for the market. Make as much as you can make on each individual product. We typically shoot for that $10 as a floor. Scott, one one last one here, um, because we were talking about making sure that our listings are optimized, some of those kinds of things. What is a good strategy to get feedback and reviews on our sales from our customer? Yeah, that's a great question. And... Here's what I would say. The very first thing that I would do to start getting those coming in, if if you're new, this is like a definite, you got to do this, is I would manually 
like manually go in and I would message those customers. And not just to ask them for a review, but to show them that my customer service is there and I care. And I would also remind them that I'm a small business and that your feedback helps me, number one, help you with products and my customer service, but also it helps me uh, you know, reach more people and be able to help more people that potentially wouldn't buy from me because of the feedback that you're about to give. So again, I would word it differently, but that goes a long way. And I know that as you grow, that would be hard to do. That's where automation comes in. And the automation would be, well, AWeber connects right now uh, through Etsy. So you can connect that and you can send an automated message or two or three on the back end of a sale. So if someone, you know, buys something, you can follow up with that person and you can say, Hey, thank you so much for ordering. Uh, you can't wait for you to get the item. If you have any questions in the meantime, let me know. So again, it's just being there is huge and that people will want to leave feedback just on that note. And then the second thing is after they get the product, you're going to follow up and go, Hey, notice that you got your product. I just want to make sure that everything was all right. If not, let me know. I want to make it right. And also, can you do me a quick favor? If you did have a five-star experience, could you leave me some feedback and, uh, and leave me a review? I would really love that. It would help me as a small business owner. And, and that's it, right? Like just do stuff like that. And that is going to go a long way. Now, if you do get a three-star or a two-star or whatever, don't give up on them. Okay. My wife has done this so many times that there might be a three-star or a four-star, not because of what she did, but because of the, the shipper, right? The pod company. And so my wife would reach out and say, Hey, I apologize for this inconvenience. Unfortunately, it's out of my hands because it's my manufacturer. But what I'd like to do is I would like to send you another one at no cost, or I would like to give you a 50% off discount because I know that this can be frustrating and I want to show you that I want to do everything I can to make you happy. Right. And that's it. And then wait for them to contact you back. Say, yes, that would be awesome. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And then you would follow up and go, awesome. And after you get this one, if you could do me a huge favor, if you could update your feedback, if you think that the service was deserving of that, that would be amazing. And that's it. And it, it's been working. <laughs> I can't believe how many my wife will get from something like that and get that thing brought right to a five star. Makes a huge difference. Um, so that's what I would say there. That's a big one. And it is really important because we all know that reviews help people make a buying decision. Heather said Etsy also has a setting that allows you to send automatic thank you coupons. Absolutely. But take the extra 10 seconds, even if it's a templated message that you're sending manually to people. Yeah. Obviously, you can't send a templated message if uh, like somebody on Facebook had said there's some damaged metal art or something. Right. But just your standard manual message can go a long way to getting you that extra feedback and extra review. I think that about wraps it up, Scott. Is there anything else you wanted to leave people with today? No, I, I think you should probably go back and maybe listen to this one again or take one of these things and run with it and really think about your business. Right. Now, I'm not calling it an Etsy business, even though you're using Etsy as the platform, but I want you to think about it as a business, all right? And any business is going to have a business plan and you're going to be thinking about it as if you are creating products for a customer, right? And think about that one customer that comes into your store 
They've got their little shopping cart. They put one thing in. Are there other things that they can put in that shopping cart? That's the key. All right. So that's what we wanted to share with you guys today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you guys could do us a little bit of a favor here, and that would be hit that old like button, give us a little bit of love. And that way there will help us reach more people. And then also, if you are enjoying this and you want more live streams like this and more videos that we're creating, you want to get access to those, just go ahead and hit that subscribe button and you'll get those when we uh, when we send those out. All right. And that's it. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, you guys can give us a little review there too. That would be amazing. All right, guys. So that's it. That's going to wrap it up. As always, take care, take action, have an awesome, amazing day. And we'll see you right back here in the next episode. Take care, guys.